the seventh ward. Oh my God, if that's wrong, I'm gonna get yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want you to get yelled at. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. On this week's episode, our panel will look ahead at the stories they anticipate will shape the news in New Orleans and the region in 2023. Joining us this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel. Hey, Nick. Hey, Carolyn. Environmental reporter Joshua Rosenberg. Hi, Josh. Hey, Carolyn. And Lens editor Marta Jusen. Hi, Marta. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome, everyone, to 2023. Hope you had a good end of year celebration and it was quiet and happy and peaceful for you. So, Nick, we're going to start with you first in criminal justice. What do you think is going to happen in 2023 that will take most of your time? I know it's hard to predict, but what are you going to be looking at? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of the stories that I'm looking ahead to are are things that, you know, we covered this past year. Sort of top of mind for me right now is... In a couple of weeks, there's going to be the second phase of a lawsuit over conditions at David Wade Correctional Facility. And, you know, we talked uh, a month or so ago about the a federal judge's ruling that conditions there were unconstitutional. So the second phase of this lawsuit is going to determine kind of what actions need to be taken, whether the conditions there are still unconstitutional um, and, you know, could result in in a consent decree or some sort of oversight that that could um, be ongoing for, you know, several years. But that's kind of one of, of many kind of prison conditions issues and, and stories that I'm looking at. So last year, there was a similar remedy phase of, of a trial over conditions at Angola, specifically healthcare at Angola. There should be a ruling on that coming down at some point. And then in addition, there's ongoing efforts to reform solitary confinement in the prison system as a whole. And I've, we've done, you know, a fair amount of reporting on, on that. The, the prison system developed this new disciplinary matrix that's supposed to limit solitary confinement. Although in fact, oftentimes people are put into solitary confinement for indefinite periods of time, despite the fact that this, this matrix exists. So we're going to be following up on that and, and seeing how the implementation has you know, changed or not changed and and whether or not conditions are, are improving. And you mentioned um, ongoing lawsuits. Does that wrap into the, um, the one that was being uh, taken up for the children, the, the minors that were being deported is not the right word, sent over to um, other states because of the uh, limitations on space? Yeah, so actually we've been waiting for a while for the Louisiana Supreme Court to rule on on a, a case over, a, a you know, this is actually pre-adjudication, so it's not the state juvenile prison system, it's it's local, local detention facilities that have been sending kids out of state, mm-hmm. um, that we haven't heard back on that, and it's kind of unclear to me whether or not the Louisiana Supreme Court will, will ultimately rule on that. Um, but that's something we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on. The kids uh, who have been sent to Angola, um, there's an ongoing lawsuit over that, despite the fact that they weren't able to to, to stop the plan like they, they wanted to. Um, civil rights lawyers are continuing to try and... There's a um, ton of open-ended questions. Yes, they're, they're you know, they're, they're trying to get more information about, about who's, who's there, what the conditions are. Um, and meanwhile, the the state is trying to get the the lawsuit tossed out. Um, and I think we'll probably find out more on that in, you know, really the coming, coming weeks and, and months. So 
And what about phase three? Will we continue to talk about that, do you think, in 2023? We will. As a matter <laughs> of fact, um, I think I think we will be hearing about that very soon. The city just uh, closed out uh, the construction uh, request for proposals for bids. Um, so I'm actually working on a story right now about uh, the, the bids that came in and the costs that, that um, you know, maybe the city didn't didn't exactly anticipate um, in terms of phase three. So that is something that, yeah, we're going to we're going to continue to keep an eye on. And I, I don't think the kind of back and forth between the city, the sheriff's office and, and the federal judge and the plaintiffs who are trying to get this thing moving forward is over. Um, I think I think that's going to you know, be something that as they assess the costs of this thing, they're going to have to go back and back and forth a bit. And that should be interesting. Right. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about the performance of both DA Jason Williams and Sheriff Hudson, who took office this year. You have here that you think that mass incarceration and the politics surrounding that might become a little bit of a, an issue this year as I, I guess I'm sort of wrapping it into um, the progressive politics of policing, and if that's if if you think that's going to be an issue this year, and how that will affect um, your coverage, if so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think so. Yeah, as you said, locally here in New Orleans, we had two very progressive candidates winning office in DA Jason Williams and in Sheriff Susan Hudson, um, but statewide. There is a governor's race coming up and, you know, we have one declared candidate so far in Jeff Landry, who has been extremely critical of criminal justice reform efforts, in particular, a 2017 bipartisan uh, sentencing reform package that was passed by the legislature that it's estimated has has reduced the state's prison population by around 10,000 people. So this it's been this really pretty dramatic change in the last, you know, five or so years in in terms of prison population and, and a reduction in the prison population. Louisiana still, I think, is second right now in terms of the incarceration rate in the country. So we're still locking up a ton of people. But compared to how it was, it, it's had this pretty dramatic impact. But, you know, this has had the full support of Governor John Bell Edwards. If Jeff Landry runs on a kind of more tough on crime uh, platform. Um, I think we could see some push at the legislature to roll back some of these measures that have had this, uh, you know, reduction in the prison population statewide. Um, so that's definitely something I'm keeping an eye on, and, and we'll kind of keep an eye on the, the rhetoric of any anyone who gets in the race to kind of, you know, see if we can parse what that might mean for the criminal justice system, you know, statewide. Um, and in terms of locally, you know, as you said, it, it was Susan Hudson's first year and it's been quite tumultuous. We've covered it pretty closely um, in terms of, of, you know, violence at the jail, in terms of issues with transparency. And I think this year we're really going to see to what extent those issues were a product of uh, kind of her relative inexperience and whether or not some of that stuff can, can be ironed out versus whether or not these are kind of going to be issues that require more, you know, robust intervention, maybe by the court and the consent decree and the mm. other parties um, and, and, you know, kind of see what needs to be done there. 
I do think that, that within the next few months, um, there's going to be the first consent decree monitors report that will assess uh, for the first time her her time in office. And you know, she said that within the first 12 months, um, she was going to have systems in place to come into full compliance with the consent decree. Kind of based on on what we've done in the in our reporting, that seems like it might not be on track. Um, but you know, we'll see. Nick, can you talk a little bit about her um, her data sharing with city council and what happened there, and then and then also briefly regarding the consent decree, um, her her request for an NDA um, this this mm -hmm. late in that process. Sure. So the data sharing issue is the city council has several dashboards that update um, the public on the prison population, on who's in jail. Sorry, I should say the jail population and and, and who's incarcerated in New Orleans. Um, and at some point, Hudson's office, according to kind of the analyst who 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 does these dashboards, cut off access to uh, to the data from the jail. And it's not entirely clear to me what happened here, um, but the, the council members were quite taken aback by this. And it kind of spoke to a larger issue that, that's been coming up with the sheriff's office in terms of, of transparency. And you know, regardless of, of what the exact explanation for why this data was cut off, the council was really alarmed. And it kind of speaks to this broader concern over transparency with, with Hudson's administration. Um, you know the the civil rights attorneys that are involved in the consent decree have have now for months been saying that they won't provide data that they're entitled to as part of the agreement. Um, reporters have struggled to get information regarding several incidents in the jail, including you know a couple, uh, including two deaths, um, and also a, a a protest that ultimately was broken up by a, a use of force, um, a planned use of force with, with sheriff's deputies and, and Department of Corrections officials. And it's been a struggle to, to kind of find out what exactly happened in, in these instances. So, you know, and some of that, the sheriff's office has said, we simply ha don't have the, the, you know, systems in place right now to, to, to quickly provide information. And that's something that we are are working on. Um, but like I said, it, it, it's like some of the other issues at the office, it kind of will, I think, become clear in the next year, whether or not these are issues that that will be ironed out um, as they kind of settle in versus whether or not these are sort of intentional attempts to obscure what's happening in the jail and, and kind of um, keep the public from seeing what's going on. Okay. 2022 seemed to me sort of stepping back, not just New Orleans and the region, but nationally, there was a lot of focus this year on mental health and the destigmatization of mental health as a, as a health issue. Does this wrap back up? I'm asking you to predict, I guess, if, if you think that um, mental health and the, the care of inmates will be front and center as well, because I think it tied into one of the lawsuits that's going on. Um, but do you think that'll continue to have some legs in, in 2023? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, treatment of mental health and mental illness in jails and prisons, I mean, it ties into kind of everything that we've been talking about right now. Uh, 
the lawsuit against David Wade Correctional Facility is about conditions and about the lack of mental health care there and kind of how the, the two uh, exacerbate one another um, and, and you know, people get put into these, these bad situations that exacerbate their mental illness, you know, sometimes it causing them to act out and, and you know, be disciplined further. Um, and it's true of the, you know, phase three facility as well. This is supposed to be a facility to treat right. people with severe mental illness. Um, and, you know, it's a controversial facility for that reason, because people, you know, argue that we shouldn't be building a jail facility to do this. This should be taking place outside of jail. Um, but in addition to kind of the way that the state and the city is handling people who are already locked up, there is an effort locally to develop an alternative response system that would send out uh, mental health experts to handle, handle calls that, that right now police are responding to. Um, so that's sort of a front end corollary to, to what we're seeing in, you know, in jails and prisons and kind of an effort to, to stop those people from, from ending up there in the first place. And that's in the process of being worked out. There was a pilot program that, that I reported on last year that, that was not particularly successful. Um, it just didn't handle very many calls and didn't send out very many mental health experts to, to, you know, intervene in these situations. Right. Um, but we'll see now that they're kind of trying to ramp this up and make it a more robust program, whether or not it ends up being uh, effective. Um, so that's also something that, yeah. We'll yeah. Do okay. And, All right. it, and dealing with those things on the front end can be such a, a cost savings as well as, you know, better for the, the health of people in our community. Um, and then like you were saying about the, the jail being potentially retrofitted it just, it seems like horribly ironic at this point that we did build a new jail that wasn't properly outfitted for the special populations. I mean, you know, that it, it seems to be an ongoing theme here where we, we, you know, should have, we, we knew those needs from the outset and yet we didn't accomplish them. So, you know, that, that's another one that's, you know, kind of dragging on into 2023, unfortunately. Yep. And, oh. and we'll be on 2023 as well. Should we talk about the um, non-unanimous juries and, and whether or not the convictions and whether or not there is any recourse, if, if that story will continue to, if you'll be following that story, do yeah. you think? So actually, this, I think, is going to move. So to, to you know remind people, the Louisiana Supreme Court ruled that that people who are now who are still in prison on, on split jury verdicts don't have any recourse in the court system to have their convictions uh, reversed or to get a new trial based on the fact that their conviction was was non-unanimous. And what that means is, is that really it seems like the last chance for some sort of remedy here is going to be through the state legislature. And there have been a number of efforts over the last few years uh, at the state legislature to pass something that will give some sort of pathway for people with split jury verdicts to get a new trial. And so far those efforts have failed. Um, but I did talk to the, the sponsor of uh, one of the bills and it sounds like that he will bring that up again in the, in the next legislative session. 
so what he'll what his bill would have done was create create a panel that would look at look at these verdicts and determine whether or not the the verdict resulted in a, a so-called miscarriage of justice and it would take into account uh why if they could determine the reasons why one or two of the jurors voted to acquit um in the strength of it, they would look look back at the evidence in the case um and also try and determine whether or not there was any uh racial animus um hmm. you know in in the verdict and in the conviction um you know that is not exactly the remedy that that a lot of the advocates have been pushing for which is to you know toss out all of these convictions um and they they would argue that sort of inherent in the 10 to 2 conviction is evidence of of kind of historical racial animus and you know ongoing discrimination and that you know any split jury verdict inherently was a miscarriage of justice i think that that that's going to be a pretty uphill battle um so we'll see whether or not they you know kind of come around to supporting this this parole panel idea and kind of the specifics of it it got caught up in the legislature last session um because there was a disagreement over whether or not all three of the panel members would need to vote uh to to give someone a new trial versus whether or not just the majority of them would need to hmm. um so you know we will we'll see whether or not there can be some agreement on that okay all right for now we'll leave that josh uh what are you going to keep your eye on this year how are you doing how's it going good doing well doing well um hope, hope you and everyone had a nice uh holiday break yeah uh, few things um, um, I'm keeping an eye on uh, a couple things I've, I've covered uh, at length before um, include the the greenfield proposed grain elevator and and you know we've re as we've recently learned there's another component to that with the potential clay pit uh, which which came as a bit of bit of a surprise to to me and I I think to others as well. Um, there's also this um, proposed project uh, that would seek to s capture and store uh, carbon dioxide under uh, Lake Moripaw, mm -hmm. which, which which is um, which is an, an ongoing um, storyline. Um, you know, there there there's um, some litigation there, as there is uh, also litigation in in the previous story I was talking about with Greenfield. Um, so they have that in common. And um, the third um, uh, storyline I'm I'm keeping an eye on uh, relates to uh, liquefied natural gas terminals uh, in Plaquemines Parish, uh, one of which is is uh, already under construction. And um, a, a couple others, which are uh, you know not exactly um, under construction at this point, but are are uh, still in the uh, proposed phase. Um, and and you know once again, there's some litigation there, which might have an impact on on how that all plays out. So those are kind of the three things I'm most focused on that I think are are, are going to be driving a lot of the 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 coverage from my um slice of the lens in in 2023 <laughs> do you get tips from readers 
I do. Yes, I'm, I'm privileged uh, to to get different tips. Some some of them uh, you might imagine are um, perhaps a little more actionable than than others, mm. which is great. Um, but it, it you know I, I I mean that sincerely. I, I I really do feel privileged to be in a position where um, people reach out to me with with things that they're uh, following, things that they're uh, concerned about, and, and that might very well have an impact or, or things that are already impacting their their communities I, I think that that is a um that's one of the 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 most kind of rewarding uh, parts of 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 this job is to have that ear it to to different communities and and um you know I've, i have an open door policy so it's it's what's on their mind I just wanted to piggyback on that too, Josh and Carolyn, thanks for that question. Um, obviously at The Lens, we strive to tell, you know, the stories of our community and there's there's hundreds of thousands of unique views and insights and experiences in this city. Um, and, you know, in 2023, just like we've done for the last 10 plus years, we want to tell your story. So please, please reach out to us with tips or, or things we can be doing better. Um, you can use our, our kind of generic tip line at editor at thelensnola.org, or you can reach any of us with our first initial and last name at thelensnola.org. Josh, in your capacity as environmental reporter and the fact that it was a super fun site, will you be covering Gordon Plaza? Oh, yes, uh, Carolyn. Thank you for that. Uh, absolutely. This this was something when 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 I first got here, I, I was I was writing, a, uh, privileged enough to be writing a few stories basically as soon as I got here. And um, you know the what 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 I was hearing in in that um, capacity was um, you know a lot of optimism that by the end of 2022 that the whole thing would be resolved you know and of course sitting here in uh, 2023 that unfortunately is 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 not the case you know you you saw some some real progress in terms of the city council. Um, you know, allocating um, funds to to these um, you know households that that uh, have have been affected by something that is, I mean, you know, to explain it to an outsider, it's 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 sort of the 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 scope of it is, is sort of unbelievable. With you know how how long um, these these people have been suffering on this site without any real um viable alternatives I, I i think just personally um keeping in mind that there is truly a human element and a, and a human toll here as this as we move into the new year um that that should always be kind of the front of mind for for mm. covering this story and, and others like it mm. absolutely these you know these people were sold the american dream right own own a home that you can afford in a planned community with a school nearby and you know it, it's built on toxic land that um, was so bad that the school shut down less than 10 years after being built and has been empty for 20 years and then being kind of the city being tied up with and you know state laws about them not being able to you know purchase anything for more than what it's worth and how complicated that process is um, but absolutely that need to make those people whole because it's what's happening right now is is, is not right it's not fair to them it's it's humbling to to think about the you know just 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 the 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 generations that this has touched you know it's like um marta exactly what you were saying that these people were sold the american dream 
And, um, you know, just, just the, the optimism of, of that prospect of putting your roots down and, 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 and these, uh, development, this development, these homes were advertised, you know, primarily, if not exclusively, as, as I understand it to, um, to, to black residents and, and prospective home buyers. And, and just like to have that, just the, the rug just absolutely pulled out from something that seemed like such an auspicious uh, undertaking for, for all these different families. And on, on, on the one hand, you know, the, the city um, uh, can, can make an effort and, and it looks like they, you know, I, I have no reason to believe that they're not making a good faith effort to, you know, try and make these families whole in the sense that, you know, they, they can furnish them with enough money to, to go and, and pursue um, housing elsewhere. But in another, in another sense, they really can never be made whole because it's, you know, it's, it's, for, it's 40 years, you know, that the system failed these families so horribly. Um, and and you, you can't compensate someone for that. They're, you can't write a check and, and make up that deficit specifically. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be reading. Josh, thank you. You're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel, environmental reporter Joshua Rosenberg, and Lens editor Marta Jusen. Hi, I'm Karen Gadbois, the co-founder and executive director of The Lens. The Lens is the New Orleans area's first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom, dedicated to unique investigative and explanatory journalism. As an advocate for openness, we provide readers with the source documents used in our reporting, inviting them to check and challenge our work or to build on it through their own research. Please make a tax deductible donation to support our work at thelensnola.org slash donate. Thank you. Marta, you've got a couple hats. What's going on with education that you'll be looking at this year with all the free time you have when you're not editing? Yeah, so I think continuing into 2023, the, the biggest story for the district right now is its um, goal to, to right-size, um, and in simpler terms, meaning to make sure we have the appropriate number of schools for the number of students that we have, um, which have been declining in recent years. And it, it, you know, has not matched enrollment projection, projections that the district um, thought they would hit years ago. Um, you know, kindergarten enrollment had gone down several years ago. So now as those students move through the ranks, schools are not, um, we're, we're just not hitting that, those enrollment levels that we thought we would. Um, and so what that means is that you have, when you have a school that's under enrolled, but it is still funded per pupil, you know, your fixed operating costs, such as, um, you know, heating and cooling for a building, grounds, maintenance, um, teachers and other supplies, you know, those stay the same, even though your school is bringing in less money. So essentially the district um, and officials at the district have said that they, they need to quote unquote right size or kind of optimize this um, spending so that they can you know, afford to keep auxiliary programs like the arts and sports and, you know, other things that kind of um, educate the whole child. 
And so where that gets really complicated in New Orleans is in a traditional district with normal schools, you know, a superintendent has kind of the unilateral right to open and close schools as they as they please. But in an all charter district like New Orleans, our schools are all on independent contracts for three, five, sometimes up to 10 years. And so for for the superintendent to come out and say they're going to close the school, there has to be a reason why they're terminating this contract. Mm -hmm. um, so just a very, very different um, approach and a, a, a different way to have to manage um, such a problem of under enrollment. We know that a couple schools are going to be closing or relocating in the upcoming year. And um, what's interesting there is um, I'm, I'm big on if you know, we've created this all charter system. The whole point of charters is that you have parental choice. Uh, you can choose what type of program you want to send your kid to. You can choose what type of school, whether it's close to your house, far, you know, based on the on location or the school's letter grade and performance and things like that. And so by closing certain schools, you, in essence, have taken away this parent's choice, right, right. that they had already selected to their student. So it's this really kind of just interesting, um, I guess, paradox in, in an all-choice system to then be closing certain schools. Right. Limiting the choices now. Right. And and choices that people exactly had already already chosen. Right. Um, right. And then there is one um, one thing I'll be keeping an eye on that, you know, when this when this happened years ago, I always thought it was interesting. Um, and, and now we've reached the point where it's become even more interesting. Um, Encore Academy is going to be closing at the end of the school year. Hmm. And what Encore did several years ago was buy an old school building from the district. Um, they then sold it to a developer who redid the building. And then Encore has been renting that building on a long-term lease. Now, what happens with the school building that had been owned by the district and sold is that it essentially it has to be used as a school. And if the developer or anyone else decides not to use it as a school, the district can buy it back. But where that's even more complicated here is, I, I don't know if I have this exactly right, but I, I believe Encore with their, its contract essentially being terminated is, um, you know, potentially, I don't know if they're potentially defaulting on some mm. loans that have been put out there or, you know, how this developer is going to find a new school to put in there. Um, it, there's just a lot of unanswered questions there. And that, that's the first time this has come up in the city. So right. it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, that makes it really complicated. Yeah. Which um, which part of the city is, uh, is, is the building in, Marta? Yeah, seventh floor, kind of um, just across um, from the Florida area, just across Almanaster from the Florida area. All right. Well, I think that's a good segue into kind of reviewing, especially the new faces around these institutions, starting with our new superintendent being in charge of this right sizing and, and everything else that she's had to face. Yeah, so she she ended up being kind of the standout candidate for the job out of several several candidates and started over the summer. Um Dr. Williams had experience in closing schools in Selma City, where she came from, which was a much smaller and more traditional district. Um, but it, it seems like she's, you know, off to that to that start here and navigating, obviously, like we just talked about, a very, very unique city. Um, I can't say I have been at a lot of the meetings recently, so I, you know, I, I don't know if I'd be comfortable rating her with a letter grade, but um, I, I am very interested to see how the right sizing in these decisions um, affects students and teachers going forward in this new year and, and looking forward to reporting on that. All right. So we'll be watching her for the year ahead. Okay, Nick, back to criminal justice. We yeah. talked we talked a fair bit about this, that, that both DA Williams and Sheriff Hudson had run on criminal justice reform 
platforms, if you will. How do you think that that was perceived by the public this year, their performance? Well, as we talked about, Sheriff Hudson has had a, a bit of a rough start to her, her tenure as sheriff, um, including some violent incidents at the jail and and some uh, criticism over not only how her administration has, has handled those incidents, but uh, the, the transparency around what's going on at the facility. Um, so I think there's still a lot of scrutiny on her office. The criticism is not as sort of persistent maybe as it was during the first several months of her, her administration. Um, but I think there's still, you know, I think people are still kind of assessing whether or not she's going to be able to, to kind of carry out the promises um, that she made over the, you know, during her campaign. And I think probably the, you know, the biggest one is, is basically running a safe and constitutional jail. Um, one where, you know, there's not regular violence, one where one that is staffed sufficiently um, and, and, you know, where there's, there's regular medical and mental health care. Um, so I think that's still, still a big open question and whether or not, um, she can kind of get that into place, uh, over the coming year, we'll see, but this, this past year was, was not ideal, I think from, mm. from, uh, from her perspective or the perspective of a lot of the people who got her elected. Yeah. Can I, let me, let me ask something too, that I, earlier I referenced um, the, the national conversation about mental health. And I, I would add now that there was also a big national conversation about the changing dynamics in the workplace and how workers seemed to be leaving in certain sectors. And it's hard to get people to come back in, in others. And, and that whole that whole dynamic seems to be shifting that there's there's a um, reluctance of some people to to go to traditional jobs and if if they have the luxury to be able to not do that and it's impacted real estate it's impacted how cities are um, looking in their in their offices but in New Orleans in particular it seems that we've talked multiple times about the staffing issues at the police at the jails Will that continue to be a problem, do you think? Yes. <laughs> um, you know, both both the the sheriff's office recently announced a raise for all uh, incoming deputies and 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 most of the, the current deputies who are already on staff. Um, you know, whether or not that will be sufficient to staff the jail to the extent that, you know, they believe is required, I think is a is a big question and you know it's a hard job and I think you know people can look around and, and see you know other opportunities where they can make as much or more money and uh, I think asking people to to go, go work in, in that facility is is you know a, a hard ask so we'll see and in terms of the police department you know we talked we talked about the council's budget that yeah. included a big chunk of money for an incentive package for the police. That's going to be something that's going to be discussed a lot, um, both in the in the press and, and at the city council and, and city government level is, is assessing whether or not this incentive package is working to attract officers. Um, so yeah, that, those those 
it will definitely be an issue that that continues to kind of be in the spotlight uh, throughout the next year. Okay. All right. Well, welcome to the new year, you guys. Thank you for your time and your work. All right. Thanks. Thanks for this is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guest this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Crastle, environmental reporter Joshua Rosenberg, and Lens editor Marta Jusen. You can read all the week's other news plus opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening and Happy New Year.